You can subscribe to The Spectator for 12 weeks for only £12 for our print and online editions, plus get six months of digital access free to The Telegraph. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash telegraph. Hello and welcome to Chinese Whispers with me, Cindy Yu. Every episode, I'll be talking to journalists, experts and long-time China watchers about the latest in Chinese politics, society and more. There'll be a smattering of history to catch you up on the background knowledge and some context as well. How do the Chinese see these issues? Donald Trump has always been a divisive figure, but you might think that those who fall foul of his policies, Mexicans and Muslims, for example, will be less divided in their opinions of him. One defining feature of his presidency has been hawkishness on China, what with the unprecedented trade war and now with the pandemic turning attention onto the Chinese people as well as the government. While bans on Chinese apps like WeChat on the grounds of national security are already topics we've covered on this podcast. But a recent poll puts the Chinese-American support for Trump at 20%. That's around 800,000 Chinese-Americans who would vote for Trump. Now, it might not be so surprising to you. After all, they probably left China for a reason, and that reason may well be political, which means that they like Trump's hawkishness on China. But actually, dig a little closer and you realise that it's not entirely political, or even political at all, why they like Trump. In fact, the story of their support is much more to do with shared values of social conservatism, especially in the face of a democratic party, especially in the face of a democratic party that seems much more concerned with social justice than getting the economy back and going. In the culture wars, many Chinese naturally side with the right, something that's lost in any discourse about BAME people as a whole. So to break down all of this, I'm joined by Sunny Shao, a political researcher who also works for AAPI Data, that's Asian American and Pacific Islanders, a publisher of demographic data and policy research. I'm also joined by Marion Zhou, a journalist at Nikkei Asia, who talked to a lot of these Chinese Trump supporters for a recent piece. Susani, to start with, can you break down the numbers for us? Yes, yeah, so um, API Data partnered with API Vote and AJC has conducted a poll this year among Asian American voters that also includes survey interviews, including the native Asian American languages such as Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Japanese, and Vietnamese, and Asian Indian languages. So based on our survey, it shows that 90% of total Asian American voters in our poll indicated that would vote for Donald Trump in the upcoming election, while 56% of Chinese Americans intended that would vote for Joe Biden. However, the number for the Asian American average is 54% for Joe Biden and 30% for Donald Trump. What did you make of these numbers? I was a little surprised to see that a fifth of Chinese Americans would vote for Trump. But maybe that just shows the bubble that I'm in. Well, actually, there is also a huge amount of don't know. So in our survey, it shows that 15% of total Asian American voters indicate that they are still not sure which candidate they would vote for. So those swing voters can easily go either side and then changing the proportion. And that number is also true for Chinese American. There are about 23% of don't knows who might vote either way. So I think that um, the final number of support for both Joe Biden and Donald Trump is still uncertain, but you can definitely say there is a divide among Asian American groups, you know, between the two parties. Marion, you spoke to a number of these Chinese American supporters for Trump for a recent piece that you did for Nikkei Asia. What did you find? What were they like? 
Well, this very particular group of Chinese Trump supporters, again, they're a very small part of the Chinese American community. Many of them are first generation immigrants in their 40s, in their 50s. You know, they came here to the States as international students back in the 90s. And really, it was a time when they had nothing. And they believe that they made themselves into the middle class all by themselves and by their bare hands. And they don't understand why other people cannot do the same. So it's very much like values of immigrants. So I guess Donald Trump's really draconian attitudes on illegal immigration helps the vote in that sense. Right. Immigration definitely is a big part, very important issue for them. And another one would be education. The immigration policy, you know, it seems like they they don't understand why other people cannot just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But as we know, people have different circumstances. And, you know, it really, they're writing on the back of fellow minorities who fought for the rights, the benefits that they're enjoying right now, but they just don't realize it. And Sunny, I think we see a similar thing happening in Mexican immigrants who go to America who are successful, and a lot of them are some of the most harsh in terms of their rhetoric towards illegal immigration from Mexico. In the data that you've seen about this Asian-American breakdown, why is it that some Asian-Americans aren't so supportive of Trump then? If, if I guess what I'm asking is, do all immigrants feel the way about illegal immigration always there split and if so why do you think that is well i think asian america in general are supportive of immigration policy and to be more, more welcoming but i can certainly understand what marin is saying about a group of chinese americans and including what you said about mexican americans who are very harsh on immigration reform and they want it to be more strict than what it is today and part of the reason has to do with social class some of those groups come in with a better social capital so they start off in a, you know, in a better stage or step uh, compared to, you know, the general immigrant story we will hear or we would understand. And second aspect of it is uh, really about a substantive self, you know, utility maximization. Those people think of Donald Trump as a candidate who can ultimately maximize their personal interest or the interest of the social class they represent. And so they can, you know, ignore certain of the rhetorics he's pushing and then just focus on the outcome of his administration might bring to them. Is that where the economy comes into it? Because a lot of Trump supporters would say that under him, the economy has been blossoming. Yeah, right. So the economic concern for Chinese Americans in particular can break down to various aspects. One of that is their personal economic well-being. So they want tax cuts on the reach because they represent the business class. And on the other hand, they want economic circumstances to be better or to be more competitive for their next generation, which is why a lot of Chinese Americans on WeChat heavily against the affirmative action policy, as well as Asian data disaggregation, because they think that will put their children into an unfair competition with people who are more disadvantaged. And then that's ultimately about their children's economic success. And Mary, that's something that you mentioned as well about education being such an important part on the political priorities for these voters. I think listeners might not know, but stateside has a huge argument at the moment about whether or not affirmative action that purportedly increases the number of BAME people is actually not so good for Asian Americans who are consistently marked down because they are academically overachieving. A group of Asian-American plaintiffs have taken Harvard to the law courts, for example, by saying that the 
personality traits that Harvard takes into account when they look at a well-rounded applicant actually consistently mark Asian Americans down on qualities such as courage, likability, kindness, and being widely respected. Now, how those traits are ever given a metric is, I don't know. But this lawsuit is continuing to go up, and some commentators even expect it to reach the Supreme Court. So, Marian, is that why some Chinese Americans are not buying into this narrative of all minorities sticking together? Right. So yes, the most important issue for a lot of first-generation Asian immigrants in general is education. You know, they want their kids to go to good schools and have a bright future, and for them, that is the quickest and safest way for their children to have a good life, in their view. And but I think a lot of immigrants and especially these Chinese parents, they don't really understand is that the campaign going against affirmative action. As we know, it's largely pushed forward by right-wing groups such as Edward Bloom's Student for Fair Admissions.、Um, Bloom actually spoke to CAA, which is the the group of Trump supporters I spoke to at their annual conference last year.、Uh, you know, they really buy into the narrative. This put their kids at disadvantage, but as we know, that is not true. When you raise the point that they might be being taken advantage of, what do these Chinese people say to you? Well, they don't think that they are. They, you know, they definitely certainly believe in their own points, and they think I'm the one that's not seeing what's happening. So it, it's really hard to, you know, argue. And also, it's it is not not my job to argue with them. And Mary, you also mentioned that these people, demographically speaking, were all immigrants from China or Chinese cultures in the '90s, coming here as students back then. Well, the reason I specify China or Chinese cultures is because I wondered if a lot of them were coming from Hong Kong, where politically the culture is very different, and so you might expect them to be politically more anti the People's Republic of China, by which I mean the government in Beijing. Is that why they're also sympathetic to Trump, or do you think that they're actually relatively sympathetic to the government in Beijing as well as Trump? That is a very interesting point because a lot of the Trump supporters I spoke to, they're not from Hong Kong. They have No political stance against Beijing. They're, you know, they're the mainlanders, and I think when it comes to China, some of them kind of shy away from commenting on it. But you know, their their main points are really just immigration, you know, and education. And as you mentioned, you know, coming from China back in the days, I think competition was really a a thing that's wired into their mindset. You know, so for them, it's like whoever. You know, has the highest test scores, or whoever competes and wins the resources. You know, I should be entitled to take it. Why should I share? You know, so that kind of mindset that I think they're still in, which kind of contributes to why they're they're supporting Trump now. Yeah, tiger moms and dads. <laughs> and Sunny, when it comes to your people who, before they moved to America, were not able to vote, or indeed before they became American citizens, do you see their interest in democracy being different? Are they more enthusiastic because this political right was given to them later, and they've known life without it? How do they see democracy? Well, yeah. So actually, if you look at the vote participation of Asian American general, or even in particular looking at Chinese American, it has been really low for a long time. We really see the You know the enthusiasm of political participation or civic engagement among Chinese Americans since the early two twenty twenty ten, 
And the reason being, WeChat, a powerful tool that for them to educate themselves about American political knowledge, and then translate that into some sort of political action. And so I would say WeChat is definitely the catalyst here that boosts a lot of people's、uh, political efficacy, and therefore translate into more political engagement. And and then so for a lot of Chinese Americans living in California,、uh, one of the affirmative action related policy was SE five, and some people refer to that as the first political love for a lot of them. And they gain confidence that oh, I can have a voice in politics, and I can express my opinion. It would matter. So that was a turning point for a lot of them become really passionate about politics, and then really want to engage not just to vote or express their opinion, but even make political contributions or attend public hearings and attend offline demonstration. That's so interesting that actually this app that Trump is trying to ban has actually conversely made some. Uh, made a lot of Chinese Americans more engaged in the process, and、uh, you know, admittedly, the vast majority of them is going to the left to Biden. But what you're saying is that WeChat is actually also a vehicle for the Trump supporting Chinese Americans. So that's a fascinating tension right there. And、uh, Sunny, what about the understanding of American politics that these voters have? They must be using a theoretical framework, cultural references that they know from China, rather than actually integrating fully into what American voters will see as. America. Yeah, definitely. So,、uh, as immigrant comes into a new country, they have to gain their political knowledge through various, you know, source of information. And for Chinese Americans in particular, they definitely, you know, trying to use the framework they understand from mainland China to understand policies in the United States. One example would be the affirmative action. So, in the U.S., college admission is never merit based, right? There's a consideration of score, performance, background, and everything else considered. But for Chinese Americans, when they hear the word affirmative action, what they can really think of is the ethnic minority preferential policy in mainland China, which is a score based system that if you're not ethnic Han, you get a 10 to 20 score boost in your college admission exam, and then use that total exam as a way to apply for university that is purely merit based. So it's a score-based competition. That if your score is higher, then you get enrolled into the college you applied. And so they use that to understand the meaning of affirmative action, and that can quite well explain the positions they have about it. Marian, we've talked on a podcast before about this WeChat ban that's happening. That's a part of wider trend of Trump being more anti-China, as I mentioned in the introduction, hawkishness on China politically, but also on the Chinese people. This year, I mean, coronavirus has not exactly put the Chinese people in a necessarily a safe place, and Trump hasn't really helped that by calling things like the Kung Flu or China virus or whatever it is. Has that not impacted these voters' minds at all? I think again, they they refuse to see it. For them, is if it doesn't. Happen to my family doesn't happen to me. They don't really believe that it happens anywhere. But as we know, you know, the fact is telling everyone that the rate of hate crimes against Asian Americans is increasing, and and it's really becoming not safe for everybody. And that's why a lot of Chinese Americans have turned away from Trump. But when I ask this group of Chinese Trump supporters, you know, what do you think about Trump calling the China virus? And they said, "Well, it's based on location, isn't it?" So you know, <laughs> they they really buy into that. And I think, again, it comes back to the denial of being a minority in this country. They didn't grow up being discriminated against, and they definitely don't want to accept it now. 
And Marion, that's a really interesting part that I found about your piece, which is that look at what kind of frame of mind that these people who have always, almost always at least, before they came to America, been the racially dominant group. So in China, the vast majority of people are Han Chinese. There's nowhere near the sort of racial diversity that you see in the West. So these people grow up having not had racism levied at them. They are confident in their ethnic identity and they come over here and they bring that confidence with them. Whereas the other Chinese Americans that they see, presumably, for example, second generation ones, members of the diaspora who have been born abroad, they will have the sort of chips on their shoulders that come from being a minority in a country that is in a lot of ways privileging white people. So that sort of difference in how you see your ethnic identity, you know, it must change the way you see the world as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think it's definitely tied, as Danny said, it is definitely tied to economic means. So they think they've done well. They live in suburbs. A lot of them mentioned white neighbors. Uh, you know, it's as something they take pride in, it's, you know, so I think it is definitely tied into that. So just going back to WeChat a little bit more, Marion, what is it like as a vehicle for campaigning? Trump may not be right that it's a national security risk per se, but it is, after all, run by a Chinese company. And we do know that censorship happens when there are articles critical of China, at least within mainland WeChat. So is it a safe space for Trump supporters? I think for for quite a while it is. The group I talked to, they had a WeChat official account they had uh, 90,000 subscribers, as they told me, and they operate different interest groups that they often feed their conservative values into the groups. Recently, I found that they've actually been shut down by WeChat due to community violations, which was quite interesting. Do they think it's a deep state conspiracy? They might. <laughs> Given how they think, they might, they might it is. I mean, it could have been just people reported to WeChat be like, I don't like the content but you know we don't know but as as of now it, it no longer uh, exists yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was another account i follow that was really similar to what you're seeing they were shut down because of some common related chinese government for at the beginning of this year and but they resumed back uh, after i guess sorting out what content they will no longer post and so there's definitely that and i think Nowadays, those, you know, U.S.-based political accounts, public accounts are more mindful about commenting anything related to China and then just focus on American politics. Yeah. And Sunny, when it comes to campaigning, what happens if WeChat is properly banned? Are they going to be moving on to other platforms? Yes. So I totally agree with what Marianne is saying that a lot of groups are in denial that Trump's policy would actually directly harm their interests or their political engagement. And then one typical example is the ban on WeChat. And so before the Supreme Court actually halted the, you know, the ban temporarily, many organizations that supported Donald Trump are saying, oh, let's move to YouTube, let's have a Telegram account, or let's use a Line as an alternative platform. And they are not criticizing on that action and then even highlighting the potential harm that can do to those groups' ability to engage people in the future. But if, if we pay attention to their Telegram account or their YouTube account, the level of engagement they get cannot be compared to the level of engagement they are able to gather on WeChat. So if that really happened over time, these organizations, both pro-Trump and against Trump, will feel the impact of you know liking WeChat as a platform for them to engage people. And I think that's a really sentimental thing for a lot of Chinese Americans is to have a Mandarin-based app where they really trust information, you know, in there. And that's the reason why it 
they receive a very alternative sets of information compared to people who use Facebook, even in this example, and more broadly compared to people who use accredited news outlet and Twitter. And Marion, what about patriotism to China? I'm not saying this is a right wing talking point that people might have dual loyalties, but you know, a lot of them do still feel affinity to China, and a lot of them presumably have family and friends in China and want China to do well. Don't they worry that voting Trump in would threaten China's greater interests and their family and friends' economic interests in the future? I think that is a very interesting point to for them because when I ask them, you know, if you're worried about visa and because a lot of them are already U.S. citizens, of course, and if they're worried about、uh, visa and going back to China, and there is a split, I would say, as you know, one person who had already moved his entire family to the U.S., he was very quick on jump on criticizing Beijing and basically citing with Trump a lot of the talking points against China's actions. And for people who still have families and friends in China that they want to go visit, they shy away from commenting on it. And some of them just say, "Oh, I believe everything will just work out," but they don't want to go into specifics.、Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And Sunny, when it comes to politics, we know that America is a very divided country, especially in this election. Partisanship is rife across the board. So, does this Trump-Biden divide also divide the Chinese community itself? Is it quite toxic relations at the moment? When you disagree, would you have disagreements at the dinner table between family members? Well, absolutely, and also because the way how the WeChat ecosystem is, people kind of stand up into their own information bubble. So you can have. You know, two people both actively using WeChat but receiving polar opposite informations about politics, about camping, about the future of America. But also to your point, I think it is really divisive. If we look at affirmative action, if you just look at WeChat discourse, you would think, well, more than fifty percent of Chinese Americans are opposing affirmative action, and very small percentage are for it. But if you look at our recent poll done、uh, among Asian American voters, actually the number is quite different. Fifty-six percent of total Chinese Americans are in favor of affirmative action, and only twenty-five percent of Chinese Americans are opposing it. Compared to the number for Asian American on average, that's seventy percent favor it versus sixteen percent opposing it. It is slightly more than the Asian American average, but it's not a fifty-fifty divide. And so, one thing I do want to point out is this: the rhetoric difference between the the conservative side and the liberal side of Chinese American groups on WeChat. The conservative side gained definitely more media attention because of this contra, you know, contradictory point of view that are surprising that worse, you know, news coverage. But there's a lot of silent WeChat Chinese American users who are actually on the supportive side, and the reason why some of them move toward the Republican side. Was because they feel this sense of betrayal that the Democratic Party focused more on interest representing African Americans or Latino that doesn't necessarily represent their interest, and that's why we see this expression of you know frustration, anger, and then this enthusiasm to support the conservative movement. Actually, that point about African Americans, Sunny, that you bring up is really interesting because we haven't really talked about the protests this year. Obviously, the protests and the riots in in the wake of George Floyd's murder have changed American politics for you know voters at large. Marion, do you think that it's、uh, been important for these Chinese Americans as well in saying 
because let's face it, I mean, Chinese people are not necessarily the most tolerant when it comes to racial equality, at least in my experience. Chinese people don't have the same sort of liberal <laughs> viewpoint that all races are equal necessarily. So do you think that the f- protests this year have made them feel more antagonistic towards some parts of society? I think so. I think so. You know, as we mentioned earlier, I think this group of Chinese immigrants, first generation, they still get their information in Chinese. They still talk Chinese. Their social circle is Chinese. So I don't think they have fully understood American history and American culture. And so for them, you know, they just see the riots. That that's all they see. They don't really understand why people are on the street. I mean, they sort of understand, but they don't. They don't embrace it. It's not their culture, and you know, like they they don't as as long as it doesn't happen to their family, they don't really care what happens out there. So for them, you know, they just see, oh, I don't I don't want to be in danger, so I don't support the protest. They don't understand the cause. But also another interesting I've seen and um, at the protest that I've been to, there's a lot of more a lot more Asian Americans joining the protest. You know, we've seen signs such as the Yellow Peril for Black Power. A lot of time this year, yeah. So you know, there there's definitely a divide, but but there's I think it's moving in both directions. Do you think there's a divide between first generation and second generation immigrants in terms of are the children of these more conservative Chinese Americans perhaps becoming more liberal in the American sense because they've become more integrated into youth society in general? I guess, Sunny, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. So, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of WeChat articles would heavily condemn it, and mainly are small business owners who, personally, might suffer financial loss because of the protests, and also people who hurt overheard friends or people in the common circle who have financially suffered from the outcome of the protest. There was this letter、uh, co-signed by various second-generation Chinese Americans. It was a letter to their parents to tell them why they support Black Lives Matter movement and why it is important to them. And in that letter, the thing that they pointed out was the fact that there are a lot of privileges they have compared to, you know, their African American friends. And then they have to be, you know, aware and mindful of that, and then not to. You know, overlook the privilege they got, and then trying to help people all to move forward equally. And the responses I've seen during my research of WeChat analysis shows that those parents were not really happy about this letter. And the responses were, you know, some of the comments were that we didn't raise those children well. They think they have privilege. There are so many challenges in their life. What made them think they're like as equal as those privileged, you know, Anglo Americans? And we are still need to move forward, and there's no time for us to pity someone who is even more behind us. We need to focus on advancing our interests. And so I think there's definitely that generational difference. And then in a lot of research、uh, in political science about Asian American political political assimilation shows that the second generation sometimes go back and educate the first generation about politics. But that happens a lot, and then sometimes that change their parents' generation's opinion. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's a very common practice that you know, instead of going from the older generation to the younger one for immigrants, it can be the reverse. I think it's interesting that immigration has this effect that you know the first generation immigrants are more pro the country that they move to because they're keen to integrate, they're keen to fit in, whereas their children who take their membership of that country for granted are actually more likely to be critical and to buy into the prevailing、uh, opinions of their demographic. Yeah, absolutely. 
Sunny and Marion, thank you very much. And thank you for listening as well. It's the last episode before the big day of the American election. So I will see you after that. And if you like this podcast or if you have thoughts for this podcast, it'd be great if you could fill out our podcast survey, which is at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash podcast survey, all one word. If you fill it out, which only takes a few minutes, you'll be in for a chance to win a bottle of Pour Roger champagne. we just like to know a little bit more about our podcast listeners who you are how you found the podcast and what you think about them so thanks so much for listening and join us again for the next episode <laughs>